Hi, I'm Tammy Hicks-Jackson. Welcome to my podcast. I am a Christian pastor in the United Methodist tradition, and this podcast covers a variety of topics. You may find anything from Bible study and devotions to yoga and meditation from a Christian perspective to my thoughts on Christian leadership and the church. Look for the descriptions and the tags for each episode to find what you're interested in. And thanks for taking this journey with me. Let's jump into this episode. Micah is the next of the minor prophets that we're going to explore. Micah was a prophet of Judah who operated in a prophetic ministry from 738 to 698 BC. This was during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah of Judah. You can find more about them in 2 Kings 15 through 18 and 2 Chronicles 26 through 28. It's also during the ministries of Pekah and Hoshea, the last two kings of Israel, before Israel falls to the Assyrian Empire in 722 BC. The themes that we find in Micah are going to be very similar to those in the book of Amos. Amos died just a little less than 20 years before Micah was born. Both of these prophets focus on social justice. Both are going to pronounce judgment on the capital cities of the two nations. Micah is going to be more explicit about hope and the hope that is based in God's divine purposes for Israel. He sees Israel as one united nation that were never supposed to have been divided. Assyria and what they do to Israel is going to be an opportunity to not make the same mistake that Israel made. Judah has an opportunity to not go down the same path. Micah would only have been 16 years old. When Israel was destroyed, he, of course, would have heard of it, but it has made a significant impact on his life and on his ministry. In chapter 1, we see that he is from Morasheth. That's 22 miles southwest of Jerusalem. And Micah's prophecies are going to come through visions and be expressed in poetic form. That's very common to the prophets. He's going to use a court scene here. That, too, is very common in the prophets for this to be a trial. Like, let's put you on trial and see if you're found faithful or unfaithful, if you're found guilty or innocent. There's a reference to the high places that were idolatry. Samaria was never accepted by Judah, and their priests and legitimate, their worship happening in Samaria was never seen as legitimate worship by the people of Judah. Um, It was very often actually pagan, um, but it was never considered legitimate and acceptable. But here, we're going to find in this book that even Jerusalem gets called pagan due to their lack of obedience. So Judah, too, has a high place. Verses 8 through 16 of chapter 1, we get an anticipatory funeral lament. The prophet goes ahead and laments and grieves for the dead nation of Judah. Um, Barefoot and naked, this is how the captives will go off to Assyria. The cities named here are near Morasheth. It seems like they fall as disaster marches to Jerusalem. Like it's a certainty that they're going to be conquered. Um, In verse 16, they've cut their hair and shaved their head. These are signs of extreme mourning and distress. In chapter 2, we enter a new section. Chapter 2, verse 1 through chapter 3, verse 12 is a second portion of the book. The sins of God's people are laid out. They're delineated explicitly. 
and the cause of the events are the things that they have done in chapter one. The greedy trade their sleep for more time to scheme. It's like a child who's excited before a party or that can't sleep the night before vacation. They're just too excited. So they can't even sleep for trying to find ways to be even more evil than they already are, to think of another way to seize land from their fellow countrymen, to cheat their own people out of stuff. The tables are going to be turned because they're going to be disinherited by their foreign captors. They reject Micah's prophecies, thinking that they are safe. God's with us. He's blessed us. Micah's just being overreactive. But God is not going to tolerate all this kind of wicked behavior. You cannot be rebellious forever. There are limits to what God will put up with. Micah calls these disobedient and greedy members of the nation the enemy of people. So not only are they no longer part of the true people of God, they have become the enemies of the true people of God. And the true people of God are the obedient. And they are the ones who will experience peacefulness. They're seeking peace and they are being kind. He talks about the women of my people, implying that they are widows and that there are children too young to inherit. There's no one to protect the inheritance for them. So they're going to be made orphans. So everyone's going to be widowed and orphaned here. Um, It's almost as though the people prefer those who preach what supports their greedy and debased lifestyles. The New Testament talks about this, that there would be a time when we would fall away from sound doctrine. We would only want preachers who tickle our ears and tell us what we want to hear. It's not a new thing. Verses 12 and 13, we see that a remnant will survive. God never completely wipes out his people. He purifies his people. And so a remnant will survive. In chapter 3, This chapter gives us various political and religious leaders who are now denounced for their self-indulgence. In verses 1 through 4, we see that justice should be the top priority for civil authorities. Instead, they are devouring the people like a hungry warrior sits down to eat stew or soup when he comes back just starving to death. They love evil and they hate justice. That's completely upside down. And God does not pay heed to their words because of it. Religion cannot be separated from our actions. We cannot compartmentalize our life into this is my religious life, this is my business life, this is my social life. We are one person, and everything we do either testifies to our faith or indicts it against us. Verses 5 through 11 Now the prophet turns to religious leaders. Having addressed their civil authorities, he's going to talk about the ones who are supposed to be leading them spiritually. The prophets say whatever gets them support. Um, They actually extort support through unfavorable prophecies. And God's, God's going to withhold his will from them. You cannot expect to hear God speak and truly deliver God's word to God's people if you are in it with other motives than that. These prophets, these leaders are going to have to guess what is being said and reap the consequences of blindly trying to prophesy. Um, Verse 8 is about Micah, who does receive his messages from God, and his prophecies are faithful. It talks about the house of Jacob. That's a way of saying the civil authorities. Um, In verses 9 through 12, their positions 
their titles are not going to protect them. And he begs them to wake up and stop being overly confident of their safety when their disobedience is making is placing them in real danger. We move into chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1 through chapter 5, 15 is another section of this small prophetic book. And here we have the purpose of God for God's people outlined. Verses 1 through 8 say that peace and security will come through their obedience. Um, this reminds me of Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Punishment or discipline may be coming, but God's promises and His mission endure. Verse 3 of chapter 4 is a really famous verse. Um, God brings peace as weapons are turned into farm tools. Peace and prosperity, having enough and not being greedy about it, those things come from God through our obedience, not through human scheming, cheating, and through war. Verses 3 and 4, this has been a benefit previously enjoyed by Israel, which will now be a privilege enjoyed by all nations. So the mission of God has always been about redeeming the entire world. In verses 6 through 8, God gathers the rejected, the afflicted, the lame. Lame people would be those who cannot walk. So after talking about each one walking in their name, in their own way, in the way of their own God, the lame are also those who are hurt by religion, including ours. We make lame people um, by the way we hurt them by being two-faced, by being somebody different in church and somebody different in the world, or by saying one thing and doing another. Arrogance, rule-keeping, political intertwining with faith, um, gender subjugation, sexual and child abuse scandals, the fleecing of parishioners financially, all of these are things within the religious scope that that maim people. They lame them. They keep them from being able to walk with God. The outcasts will be healed, and everyone will be made strong and whole. Um, it makes us wonder, who are our outcasts um, that need to be healed? Verses 9 through 13, the suffering intensifies. Kings and counselors are deported away to Babylon. Salvation comes. Um, their eyes are going to be opened during their suffering, during their exile, and they will be redeemed from it, um, just like they were in the Exodus. It's a second Exodus. The plan um, is to destroy the people of Israel. That's what the nations want to do, but they're not going to be allowed to be succeed. To succeed, Zion will be strong again. In chapter 5, we're assured that godly leaders will once again rule. Um, in verses 1 through 6, after the suffering which is pictured as labor pains. Um, the labor is hard and painful, but it's the way to a great joy. Women labor, and going into childbirth is very painful, If you, particularly if you didn't have the drugs that we now have for that. But then we're so excited when the baby is born that we forget about how painful it was. So right now, like in exile, the pain would seem very, very hard, but out of it will come joy. Um, a new ruler will come out of Bethlehem, David's hometown. It will be a new beginning. Um, kind of like after the flood, it'll be a moment of reset. Um, and we believe that this is a prophecy about Jesus. 
um, that God will bring peace and security to his people. Verses 7 through 15, um, we have future enemies that come against God are going to be thwarted. Um, And when it says like seven shepherds and eight, that use of seven and eight or three and four is a rhetorical term. It's a poetic device, um, a way of um, saying something with some flair. Jacob will rejuvenate creation and stand against the nations who are opposing God's work. Remember that Jacob is a way of referring to the to the nation of Israel, to God's called people. Um, right now, they don't exist late in this book, but they will once again exist. And God will cleanse the military, the civic institutions, as well as the religious life. It's a total renewal and redemption. In chapter 6, Zion's present failings are rehearsed. We have yet another court case. And it's like, stand up and plead your case. Creation hears the case and sides with God. In verses 3 through 5, we're urged to remember all that God has done and to respond to God's graciousness um, as we should and not in a way that is appalling. Like, everyone seems genuinely appalled. How could you? How could you respond to God like this? Um, God's saving acts are literally... God's righteousnesses, deeds that establish a right relationship among God, Israel, and the whole world. Verses 6 through 8 talk about sacrificial offerings that are culturally accepted responses. It's assumed that this is what God desires, is that we engage in this ritual. But the proper response to God's saving acts is to practice justice to set things right between themselves and others, to love kindness, which means to maintain a loyal commitment to God and to others that transcends legal requirements. Like we shouldn't have to have laws that spell everything out. We should be by nature kind and want to be kind. This is only possible if we walk humbly with God and it results in a life transformed by the grace of God. This passage is Micah's complete summary of the Torah. This is how he wraps up all of the law for people, um, is that you should seek justice, walk humbly, and stay in love with God. You can hear this echoed in Numbers chapter 24, verses 15 through 25, Isaiah 10, verses 10 through 17, Amos 5, 21 through 24, and then again in Hosea 6, 6, as we've seen here. Verses 9 through 16, Zion's sinners deserve judgment. Cheating and violence are intolerable actions. They're trying, trying to make your lives easy by earning more, but they're actually making life worse. The way to a good life is to follow the principles that God lays out. In chapter 7, verses 1 through 7, show us that there is total corruption. There's no justice. And because there's no justice, there's no relief. Um, It's like when all is harvested. When they harvested the crops, they were told to leave some for there to be a little leftover for the people who don't have much. Here there's nothing to be gleaned. There's nothing left, and the people are left wanting, and they go hungry. Um, 
it's a sad state of current affairs. Verse 4 tells us that even their best is still bad. 5 and 6 tell us that you can trust no one. You can't even trust those you're closest to. And yet, verse 8 still gives us just a little bit of hope in there. Verses 8 through 10 tell us the way to see hope realized is to repent and obey. Verses 11 through 13, we see that God restores. Zion will be a refuge for all the nations, and the nations who reject that will be destroyed by their sins. Verses 14 through 20, we are reminded that God is faithful. It's a call for God to be their God. That's what you want. You want God to be your shepherd. A shepherd is a gentle guide and a protector. Eventually, all will repent and fear the Lord. The nations that choose to remain enemies of God in verses 16 and 17 will end up dreading seeing God. When the day of the Lord happens, when when God comes back, when all the scales are balanced, for those who have repented, for those who are in right relationship with God, there's nothing for us to worry about. It's those who have opposed God, who've um, intentionally been disobedient, who's thumbed our nose in the face of God's principles who need to be worried. Verses 18 through 20, the destruction that they experience is deserved, according to Micah, but mercy can be received. The overall message that Micah presents is that God is faithful, but God will not tolerate unrepentant disobedience and complete disregard of a grateful response to His love and graciousness. In other words, God will not be made a fool. Um, This is a common thread with the prophets. It's the major thrust of the um, prophet Micah and With his statement of that and his call to repentance and righteous obedience, Micah's book comes to an end.